Hello and welcome to the Herb Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Ali Bakir. He is a research assistant professor at Ibn Khaldun Center for Humanities and Social Sciences in Doha, and an analyst following geopolitical and security trends in the Middle East, with a special focus on relations between Turkey and the Arab world. And our conversation today is about Cairo's relations with both Ankara and its MENA neighbors. Ali, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And the pleasure is mine as well. The mood music between Egypt and Turkey is growing warmer by the week. The most recent example, the Egyptian foreign minister, Sami Shukri, responding positively to an overture from Turkey's foreign minister, Mevlüt Kavashoglu, talk of mutual interests and shared benefits. But can you take us back to 2013 and the coup that brought down the government of Mohamed Morsi? Relations were pretty much rock bottom at that point, weren't they? Actually, let me take you a little bit to the time before the 2013 uh, military coup. In 2011, and after the uh, Egyptian revolution erupted, Turkey's Egyptian relations uh, peaked in an unprecedented way. Uh, at the time, uh, Turkey's uh, president, uh, Abdullah Gul, was the first foreign official to visit uh, Cairo. But most importantly, the prime minister uh, visit to Cairo uh, at the time, Erdogan, opened uh, new horizons to the uh, relations between Turkey and Egypt. Several uh, agreements signed and also first strategic council met. And uh, at the time, Erdogan uh, urged the Egyptians to adopt also uh, secularism. So all these um, developments took place before uh, the Egyptians decide to elect their first civilian uh, president in a first free and democratic uh, elections. Now, uh, when uh, Mohamed Mursi became a president in 2012, uh, also relations uh, between uh, Turkey and Egypt were at the best. They coordinated and uh, cooperated closely regarding the hot issues in the region, including uh, Syria, Iraq, Palestine, also the initiative to create uh, weapons of mass destruction free uh, zone, uh, etc. So this kind of cooperation reshaped the power balance in the region and this was not received well to uh, some uh, regional countries such as uh, Israel, Iran, Saudi Arabia and UAE. The idea that two elected governments were working together to reshape the region and support the Arab revolutions um, was met negatively. As a result, in 2013, the defense minister at the time, uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, executed a coup and uh, this military coup was backed by uh, mainly UAE and uh, Saudi Arabia. So at this point, and because uh, the Western countries, uh, the EU and uh, USA, were pretty much silent regarding this military coup, and they didn't take any uh, measures to reverse it, uh, uh, Turkey felt the need to lead the criticism in this particular point and also it has it had its own motives uh, as a country witnessed a several number of coups including bloody coups uh, it was not convenient to stay silent uh, in this case uh, especially that uh, some forces inside turkey and outside turkey were still uh, entertaining the idea of uh, military coup in 
Ankara. So it's after that that relations started to deteriorate significantly between between Turkey and Egypt. Uh, we should not forget that Egypt joined the anti-revolution camp at the time, uh, led by UAE and Saudi Arabia, and uh, relations started to take negative uh, turn indeed uh, after 2013. Uh, both uh, states uh, degraded the uh, diplomatic representation and the economic uh, relations also uh, decreased significantly from around $5 billion to around $3 billion, and uh, both were in contrasting positions in the region. Yes, and as you say, that was then, but this is now, and there are several reasons why things are warming up. And in a recent article you wrote for Middle East Eye, you noted a big one, which is the maritime boundaries in the eastern Mediterranean and the whole issue of offshore gas and oil resources. Take us through that, please, Ali. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, this is one of the first pieces to speak about the uh, motives and the implications of this rapprochement between uh, Turkey and Egypt and what's happening behind the closed doors. Uh, analysts usually uh, are adopting one side analysis. Um, it's important, in my opinion, in such cases to adopt a multi-dimensional approach. And that's why I took the uh, Egyptian motives into consideration also and uh, the Egyptian messages. Now, uh, I think that uh, there were two important uh, motives from Egypt's uh, side, also from the Turkish side, uh, mainly the Eastern Mediterranean and uh, Libya. And those two topics provided the basis of the uh, current rapprochement uh, between uh, Egypt and Turkey, besides, the, of course, the regional and international developments, uh, including uh, victory of Biden in the presidential elections in the U.S. and Al-Ula agreement, which was, in my opinion, a game changer uh, uh, in the uh, Egypt-Turkey and Egypt-Qatar uh, relations. Now, when it comes to the conflict in Eastern Mediterranean, uh, it is a very uh, complex situation and often involves politics, economics and uh, legal aspects, among uh, other things. It all started in 2003, I believe, when uh, Cyprus, which is a EU member, started to take unilateral measures in that region and to delimitate its uh, maritime borders with other uh, countries without uh, 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 taking uh, Turkey's interest and uh, the interest of the Turkish Cypriots into consideration. And in 2019, the initiative to launch uh, the uh, Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum was launched with Cairo as its base. And it was obvious that this initiative meant to isolate Turkey and to prevent it from utilizing its rights and interest in the Eastern Mediterranean. So... Uh, this was a great issue uh, of conflict with Ankara and Ankara responded by assertive policies in the Eastern Mediterranean and also by a maritime deal with uh, the UN recognized government uh, in Libya, which was a game changer. This deal, although criticized by Greece and Egypt to some extent, the Egyptian uh, government and uh, Egypt's foreign minister actually noted that this deal didn't harm Egypt's interest in the Eastern Mediterranean. And he, this was uh, the first implicit message towards Turkey. 
because uh, simply an Egyptian-Turkish uh, maritime deal in that region will grant uh, Cairo a vast maritime area that uh, around 15,000 kilometers. So uh, it was in Cairo's interest to reach an agreement with Turkey in the Eastern Mediterranean rather than with Greece. That's why the bureaucrats in uh, Egypt's foreign ministry and also uh, in the intelligence, general intelligence, uh, recommended that uh, president uh, should follow uh, an agreement with Turkey. Uh, however, because of two main factors, I believe, the bad relations with Ankara and also uh, Sisi's need to uh, legitimacy and political and economic support from uh, Europe and USA, he decided to make a deal with Greece rather than Turkey. And uh, uh, this Greece, although was, uh, let's say, partial, it uh, kept the door open to an agreement with Turkey. And uh, in, in this February, uh, Egypt sent a message that it's respecting uh, Turkey's maritime borders. And this also motivated Ankara to reach out to Egypt on this topic. So uh, the Eastern Mediterranean issue is one important topic that provides the basis of rapprochement between the two countries. I'm not saying it is easy to reach an agreement between the two sides, but it is a topic that both can sit and discuss and try to uh, uh, reach uh, at some point in the future an agreement on this matter. Well, it's interesting, Ali, isn't it? Because as you say, there was an attempt really to shut Turkey out. Egypt was part of that attempt, but then they saw an opportunity for themselves working with Turkey and really a, a common ground has been established. You mentioned Libya. Egypt, of course, very strongly backed uh, the warlord Khalifa Haftar, who was, of course, backed largely by the United Arab Emirates. Uh, that seems to, uh, as you said, have, have cooled down. I mean, do you think that uh, Egypt has just abandoned Haftar now and, and is much more receptive towards uh, the way the Turks have handled things in Libya? Well, Bill, as you know, the main aim was to topple the UN-recognized government and take power by military force uh, and, uh, of course, enter the uh, capital uh, Tripoli. But with uh, Turkey's last moment uh, help and support, the GNA uh, foiled this plot and obviously Egypt lost the bet on its uh, horse, which is Haftar in this case. So from that point on, Egypt had to adopt uh, to adapt to the new realities on ground and with the fact that Turkey uh, has the upper uh, hand in that uh, North African uh, country. As a result, I believe uh, Egypt slowly, slowly uh, changed its position and uh, sent official uh, delegations to Tripoli, opened consulate and sent ambassador and uh, recognized the transitional uh, process and that uh, was a, a pretty much a great deal because uh, uh, Egypt was aligning its position with Turkey uh, at this point and that was really a good point also uh, for the Turks which they utilized to as an item on the uh, discussion uh, table. Uh, now uh, Libya is very important for both countries because Libya has uh, long borders with, with Egypt shares long borders. Also, uh, uh, Egyptian-Libyan relations are old. Uh, uh, Libya is a neighbor. Uh, Egypt uh, obviously has interest in that country. And from another, uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, Libya is also not less important to, to Ankara. Uh, actually, 
Turkish-Libyan relations are old, and they, they at certain point they were much better than the Libyan-Egyptian uh, relations uh, due to uh, many factors that we will not discuss right now. But one thing is that uh, Libya, for example, was the first foreign country to host contracting and construction uh, uh, Turkish companies. It was the first overseas uh, country to receive such uh, an, uh, projects, and Turkey had project estimated with 13 billion dollars and at certain point uh, Libya hosted uh, more than 80,000 Turkish worker businessmen professional etc so uh, relations are deep Turkey has interest there and uh, the maritime and security deal with Libya is uh, very critical to Turkey in Eastern Mediterranean so both uh, countries has interest to stabilize Libya and uh, to try to utilize and benefit from the coming uh, economic uh, opportunities in the construction sector or in the Eastern Mediterranean. So this is another point that both can sit and talk and discuss and try to align their uh, agenda. Of course, uh, such discussions are not easy. There will be uh, disagreements, there will be different points of views, but at least they are providing a platform where they can sit and discuss about this issue. Mm, yes, and another point of, of common ground, potential common ground. And of course, it's not in Egypt's interest to have a, a destabilized, a failed state on its borders. But I wanted to ask you about the uh, blockade of Qatar, which of course, Egypt joined with Saudi Arabia, the UAE and, and Bahrain. Do you think that the Egyptians had much choice in that? Or were they really because of the amount of of money that Saudi Arabia and the UAE were pumping into the Sisi government, do you think they really had a choice in, in, in whether or not they would support that blockade? Well, um, I can say that um, yes and no uh, at the same time. <laughs> yes, because uh, Egypt obviously had its own motives and reasons also, and uh, uh, especially when it comes to the Muslim Brotherhood issue and uh, Al Jazeera, which was causing a great uh, headache uh, for the uh, military regime in, in Cairo. And uh, no, because as you said, UAE, especially UAE had, uh, and of course Saudi Arabia, they had much uh, uh, leverage over Cairo and its foreign policy at, uh, at that point. And uh, as you said, they pumped a lot of money. Some estimations even put the, the money channeled uh, from uh, UAE, Saudi Arabia, and to some extent Kuwait to CC since uh, the military coup at $90 billion. And this is a huge amount of money. So um, UAE was basically leading Cairo's foreign policy uh, till that point. But I think that... When the Egyptians realized that uh, the blockade uh, is turning into a fiasco and uh, uh, none of their uh, 13 demands uh, were uh, met and uh, Doha emerged stronger and uh, in a better position, they started to not completely change their position, but they started to a little bit take their own interests uh, into consideration. For example, unlike uh, UAE and Saudi Arabia, Egypt didn't block uh, the Qatari investments uh, in Cairo. And at the end of 2017, uh, Egypt increased its uh, 
economic interaction with Turkey for the first time since the military coup in 2013. Of course, analysts don't pay much attention to these indicators, but these are really indicators that something was uh, was going behind the doors. And I think that by 2019-2020, also Egypt realized that uh, depending on UAE or letting UAE lead its foreign policy, especially in Libya, backfired and uh, enabled two Uh, countries, which are uh, Turkey and Russia, uh, not neighbors of Libya, uh, on the expense of Egypt at that point. And that's why the Egyptians also started to uh, try to diversify their relations. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting too, isn't it, Ali? Because the feud ended at Alula in January. But it seems the Egyptians were not consulted before that decision was taken Does that have anything to do with the warming up of relations with Turkey? Because as you pointed out in our podcast last year, the Turks and the Emiratis in particular have been at odds. Abu Dhabi's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed and President Erdogan have been jostling for regional influence. Do you think that uh, President Sisi's nose was perhaps put out, of, uh, put out of joint a little bit because the Egyptians were basically on the sidelines in that decision to end the blockade? I believe that uh, Al-Ula agreement was a turning point in terms of uh, Egypt-Qatar and Egypt-Turkey uh, current uh, rapprochement uh, process. Obviously, uh, for their own motives, Saudi Arabia and uh, UAE uh, went to Al-Ula uh, deal without uh, consulting uh, the Egyptians or taking their interests into consideration uh, in that deal. And as you said, yes, there was an attempt to marginalize uh, Egypt, although uh, also Sisi was invited to the uh, summit. He didn't. Uh, attend. He sent his uh, foreign minister and uh, that was also an indication that things were not right. Now, why would Saudi Arabia and UAE do this? There are a lot of factors that we can talk about, but in my opinion, they also probably uh, realized that they had expectations from Egypt because uh, they, they were like... Uh, Uh, financially funding uh, the regime there and uh, supporting it politically uh, in uh, international platforms and regional uh, initiatives. So they had expectations and these expectations uh, were not met, uh, whether in uh, uh, Egyptian role in uh, uh, Yemen or uh, against Qatar or uh, against Iran or uh, in Syria or in Libya, etc. So uh, both decided to choose another option which is to depend more on Israel from that point on and this is another issue where the Egyptians felt that their value uh, is decreasing in the eyes of the Emiratis and the Saudis uh, because uh, these two countries one is explicitly uh, depending on Israel through the latest Abraham Accords and the other is implicitly depending also on security arrangements and uh, other agreements with Israel. So I think that uh, this is why they neglected Egypt and they also sent positive uh, messages towards Qatar and towards Turkey. So like like, uh, Egypt was uh, uh, left alone and the Egyptians said, okay, if our partners and allies uh, are doing this, we can even do better than them. We have genuine interests with the Qataris and the Turks and we can open channels and negotiate and 
also achieve our interests by diversifying our relations. And I think that the current regional situation also with Biden administration in power in the U.S. allows the players to smoothly uh, uh, recalibrate their uh, positions. But I'm afraid that some countries have a tactical interest in such rapprochement, while others maybe have uh, more uh, strategic uh, motives. So I think that uh, uh, all in all, this Alula agreement is important uh, in, in, in uh, Egypt, uh, Qatar and uh, Egypt, Turkey uh, rapprochement uh, process. And uh, Egypt is tries, trying to diversify its relation, opening up with Qatar and Turkey, making use of uh, this camp uh, politically, uh, uh, especially from Qatar, uh, politically, financially, uh, want to utilize its uh, might because uh, right now um, Cairo has um, some challenges to meet, uh, whether economically or whether with uh, GERD. The Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam built on the Blue Nile, which uh, has potential to create water shortages for both Sudan and Egypt. Yeah. So uh, I think that this is the uh, situation right now when it comes to Egypt's foreign relations. So, yeah, I mean, what you're saying then is, is as a result of, of, of several factors, Egypt is seeming now to develop a somewhat more independent foreign policy, uh, particularly in relation to the United Arab Emirates and its, its initiatives, which, as you said, have backfired in, in, in Libya and indeed with the blockade. But just last week, uh, President Sisi met with Mohammed bin Salman at Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, both of them looking very relaxed. Uh, indeed, there's a picture of uh, President Sisi wearing a T-shirt. Uh, how would you characterize relations now with the Saudis? Uh, yes, they were. Uh, uh, they seemed relaxed, as you said. But I, I, I don't usually give too much uh, credit to 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 the photos or these poses because they they never, especially in the Arab world, they never uh, reflect the true um, uh, nature of relations. Anyway, yani. uh, um, when it comes to Egypt Saudi relation, I think that the Saudis right now are. For them, Egypt is always an important country. But as I said before, uh, they pumped a lot of money and they had some expectations and Egypt didn't play the role that they supposed Egypt should play in, in, in Yemen and uh, uh, against Iran. And so maybe they are trying also to, to take this in consideration. But I think that the Saudis uh, uh, might uh, become very much frustrated and antagonized if Egypt uh, managed to uh, really achieve to normalize relations with Ankara and achieve a progress on that front because as we know right now most probably Mohammed um, bin Salman the crown prince of Saudi Arabia uh, is stalling uh, and stopping uh, effective rapprochement between his country and uh, Turkey and he wouldn't like to see Egypt achieving a progress with, with Ankara while he's uh, stalling his uh, the rapprochement with, with uh, Turkey so maybe uh, he's also trying to offer Egypt something um, in order to slow down this process or even, how can we say it, stall it or uh, uh, disrupt it. So uh, I think that the Turkish issue is very important uh, for the Saudis in this matter. 
Also, uh, we saw Egypt taking a leading position in uh, the latest uh, Israeli uh, assault on the Palestinians and the Gaza, Gaza price, uh, crisis, and uh, uh, it overshadowed the Saudi traditional role, let's say, uh, as a big Muslim uh, country that uh, had uh, yani, traditional positions towards uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque and uh, Jerusalem and the Palestinian issue. So uh, maybe they were discussing some, something in this uh, regard also. There are no uh, information about what they had uh, discussed, but they said a general statement on that, uh, that they are uh, on the same page regarding the bilateral and regional issues. So some fencing or fence-mending perhaps going on there. We don't really know which. Um, Now, Qatar. Qatar and Egypt were at odds. Of course, Turkey backed Qatar very heavily during the blockade. But things have warmed up considerably uh, between Cairo and Doha, haven't they? Uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, not only warming up, the rapprochement process was pretty much fast. Although, uh, as I said a few days ago uh, to uh, uh, one of my colleagues, that uh, um, many Egyptians were saying that even if the uh, the Gulf countries normalized their relations with uh, Doha, we will object uh, this issue and we will not normalize our relations with uh, Qatar. And they were like uh, stressing on this position till the last moment before Al-Ula agreement. But once Al-Ula agreement uh, was reached, uh, they flipped their position and they, as I said, achieved a, a very fast rapprochement process. And now uh, relations are warming up with uh, Doha. Uh, there are just a few points um, that are still in the discussion process and they are not a very serious ones. Uh, both countries right now, uh, as we uh, saw lately, cooperated in the uh, Gaza crisis and the Israeli assault on the Palestinians. They also uh, are cooperating regarding uh, unified Arab position uh, against Ethiopia when it comes to Egypt's interest in Nile. Uh, Gerd uh, Quagmire, that Egypt is in it uh, right, uh, right now. So uh, I think that things are going uh, pretty much uh, well till that uh, this moment, and uh, suddenly we don't see the the ideological um, aspect, which is uh, usually uh, stressed upon by the foreign analysts and experts, and uh, is usually given too much weight in the uh, relations. Is presence anywhere in in what's going on right now? So. I think that uh, uh, the countries usually follow uh, interests and Egypt's interest right now is to fully utilize uh, Qatar's uh, financial and political and diplomatic might uh, to its uh, interest. Yes, because of course the, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, Doha was seen as, a, as a, a great supporter of the Brotherhood. You mentioned Al Jazeera and how that had annoyed very deeply the Egyptians uh, in the uh, early days of the the uh, CC coup, uh, but the Muslim brother does not seem to be an issue now. The ideological uh, factor has receded. I finally wanted to ask you, Ali, about this warming up between Ankara and Cairo. How far can it go? And, and what are the implications, the bigger implications uh, for the region? 
this rapprochement, uh, as I uh, indicated before, um, uh, is about uh, interests. And uh, both uh, uh, Turkey and Egypt are uh, pragmatic enough to take the necessary steps to discuss their uh, interests and uh, also take more uh, steps and measures towards the normalization. Now, uh, I can say that... Uh, At this point, uh, there is a slow but steady uh, progress in this matter and um, things are going really well. They are, upon uh, Egypt's request, Turkey sent its first uh, foreign uh, ministry uh, delegation to Cairo and they discussed several issues, including bilateral and regional issues, frankly. So uh, they are also aiming for the next steps, uh, probably appointing ambassadors and uh, the visit of uh, Egypt's foreign minister to uh, Ankara. But uh, uh, having said this, I also urge uh, cautious because, um, as I said before, it's all it it is uh, all about interest. And at certain point, if Cairo's uh, traditional allies. Uh, gave it more carrots in return for halting such uh, rapprochement or uh, stopping the normalization process with Turkey, then probably uh, Egypt will choose uh, this option. But right now, I think that we have a good uh, uh, opportunity to make progress in this matter based on genuine interest in uh, bilateral and uh, regional uh, issues, uh, including Uh, Libya and Eastern Mediterranean, we should not forget that also Libya right now worth billions of dollars of economic opportunities for uh, Cairo, uh, which is witnessing a, a, a challenging economic situation. Also stabilizing uh, uh, Libya will allow at least one million Egyptian uh, worker to uh, work there, uh, billions of dollars to uh, Egyptian economy. Uh, so I think that uh, this is a really big thing for for the uh, Egyptians. Now, I'm only worried about the 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 ultimate goal of whether this is this rapprochement is tactical or strategic. From the Turkish perspective, I can comfortably say that uh, the rapprochement is strategic. Yet, uh, uh, from the Egyptian perspective, there are many uh, uh, factors in the equation that. Can, might affect uh, Egypt's decisions later on. Uh, I can say that we will witness positive steps, but at the same time, I'm not expecting the uh, any presidential meeting uh, anytime soon between the two uh, countries. So uh, this is my reading to uh, the situation right now. If both try, uh, manage to normalize relations, this will have a great impact on the uh, regional uh, uh, politics, in my opinion. Uh, bilaterally and also uh, on international level because uh, two heavyweight countries that are able to agree have the power to really change things on ground in the region. Yeah, that's interesting, Ali. It's a, it's a delicate uh, balancing act that uh, Cairo has to play because they don't want to upset and annoy their Gulf supporters, primarily the Saudis and the Emiratis and, and, and Kuwait uh, At the same time, as you say, there are opportunities and, and Turkey has a counterbalance and Egypt perhaps feeling you know, somewhat uh, pushed aside by the Gulf states, which it has been over, over many years, that this is an opportunity to reassert itself in a, in, in a stronger way, both uh, in terms of foreign policy, but as a 
significant regional player. Exactly, exactly. Uh, this this is my point, and uh, the Egyptians ha- has a chance right now to uh, at least safely explore this option with Biden in power in the United States. As I said before, they want to pose themselves as a, a positive player, a constructive player. Uh, versus the old uh, uh, or the previous role, which is mainly uh, characterized by being a disruptive power led by uh, mainly by UAE's uh, agenda in the region. So now there is a different, uh, there is a, a new uh, president in the US and a new game in the region, and uh, all countries are uh, recalibrating this uh, their positions to adopt to this new game. But uh, to what extent they will continue playing in the same? Uh, way and uh, uh, what are the ultimate goals and whether they are uh, posing tactically or not this is the uh, something that we have to uh, wait and see uh, in the future to be watched uh, closely ali and i know that you will thank you so much once again it's it's terrific to be able to talk to you thank you very much dear bill and uh, hope i have been of uh, uh, useful for you and for the audience thank you very much you have indeed thanks ali You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Ali Bakir, a research assistant professor at the Kowloon Center for Humanities and Social Sciences in Doha. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to arabdigest.org. If you're a student, we have a special rate of £10 a month or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we're now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest, essential reading from independent sources. Music